0: How much is enough? How much is enough? Now we're talking in regards to giving. So I see it's up on the screen. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. When we're talking about, when we're asking that question, and I've heard that question and maybe some of you as well, how much is enough in regards to finances, um, in regards to giving as an act of worship, there are several different opinions. You ask a lot of different people, you're going to get a lot of different responses on what is enough in regards to giving. And first of all, I want you to think about that question. How much is enough? It assumes that we can buy God's favor. It assumes that there is some kind of a standard in which we can live and absolutely be within God's approval. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Is there anywhere in the Scriptures that support the idea that you and I can ever be good enough for God? Can you find any one of those in the Scriptures off the top of your head that you or I could be good enough for God? that there's something that we can do that would be good enough. If you know that verse, let me know, because I can't find one. If there was such a verse in the Scriptures, I would think that it would be a memory verse on all of our minds. It would be one that we would be taught when we are the youngest of age. That we would have it burned in our mind if there was one verse that God says, you can be good enough. We have to remember that in relationship to God, our relationship to Him, it's never been about us being good enough for Him. It's always been about Him being perfect for us. That is the gospel message. There's nothing I can do. There's no amount of money I can give. There's no certain act I can do that can warrant God's richest favor. There's nothing I can do to earn the grace that is showed to me on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. There's nothing. But when we ask that question, we still get some answers. We still get some responses. Some people will say, well, God knows your heart, so it's just whatever's in your heart. Whatever you want to give is okay and acceptable to God. Some others will tell you that it's 10%. That one has to give 10% in order to find favor with God. Yet there are others, a small strand, albeit, that tell you you have to give everything to God. Now it's true that God does want us to consecrate our lives, to consecrate our possessions, to consecrate all that we are to be a reflection of His glory and His honor and to further His work in the world. But I want you to think about those three common answers. How much is enough? Well, whatever I want to give, as long as it's given with the right heart. Or 10%, or everything. I want to focus on one of those responses. We've already talked about consecration. I want, you, I want to talk to you just for a moment about a tithe. I want you to be able to see what the Bible says about a tithe, what it is. I know we've used that word before and some people didn't understand what it means. And that's our fault for not, not, not uh, uh, teaching and clearly uh, making it so everybody's able to understand what a tithe means, what its place is. In the Scriptures. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, by the way, is awesome. If you're not a Pharisee. If you're a Pharisee, 23, chapter 23, you would just as soon it was tore out of your Bible like mine was. Last week, you would just assume it's not even in there. These are some intense, harsh words. This takes place at a moment just before Jesus is going to the cross, just before Jesus is getting ready to surrender his life. And it's awesome because Jesus is is taking on literally the spiritual bullies of the day. I mean, these are guys who have made a living, have made all of their money, have made all of their name off of being religious. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, shortly before he goes to the cross, which is no coincidence, he pulls back the curtains and he pretty much says, "All right, guys, you've been playing like this, I'm going to show you who you really are. In fact, I'm not just going to show you who you really are, I'm going to expose your innermost selves to everybody else. Jesus takes on the spiritual schoolyard bully and wins. And chapter 23 is an, is an account of what Jesus is saying to those religious leaders when he says, woe to you, meaning if you don't change, if this continues to go on, it is going to be detrimental to you, meaning God is going to discipline you. That's what he's saying. There are seven different woes pronounced to the religious leaders in chapter 23. Even though you are not a Pharisee, you may still be Pharisaic. So chapter 23 may be something good, for you to be able to read as a checklist in your own life to make sure your heart is right. I want you to look at one of the woes in particular. Chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith, These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Notice verse 24, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Let me read it to you one more time because it's short and it's worth the money. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. What is Jesus saying to them? Among all of these woes pronounced in there about them being beautiful on the outside, yet corrupt on the inside, regardless, beyond what he said about them being a brood of vipers, uh, serpents, poisonous serpents, he now calls them hypocrites. He's saying to these religious leaders, you are tithing. There's that word, tithing. You are tithing on the smallest amount, on the the smallest of these seasonings and spices. And you're going to such detail to make sure that you are making a tithe and contributing a tithe off of these small little seasonings and spices. And yet, Jesus said... In all of your detail, in all of the attention that you have given this small, minute part of the law in regards to tithing off of these things, he said you have bypassed, you have totally neglected, you have become blind to the weightier elements of the law, which he says are justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus said you're so busy working on this... You're so busy in your religious activity to the nth degree that you are measuring out a tenth of your spices to give to God for the purpose of feeling very religious. He said you're working so hard at that that you've forgotten mercy, justice, and faith, the huge elements of the law. That's why he says you're straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're working so hard on these little things in order to attempt to be so religious. And yet you miss what it's all about. You're working on organizing shingles on the top of your roof when your foundation is all cracked and shattered. He's saying, get your eyes not just off of that, but pay attention to the weightier elements. Remember, Jesus doesn't say that their tithing was bad. He does not say that their dedication was wrong. He doesn't tell them to stop tithing. He says, broaden your scope and focus on the whole matter. Now, don't just work on the shingles on the roof. Don't just work on the trim around the window. Don't just work on the corners of the floor. Go and look at the foundation as well. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Tithe. First point, what is a tithe? I'm going to go through a lot of stuff. There are a lot of verses I'm going to be sharing with you, so it might behoove you to write some of these verses down. You can discuss them later in your, in your small group, um, your Sunday evening small group, if, if you are in one that does go digging deeper through the, through the week. Um, but you'll definitely want to jot these down. Now, I'm going to be throwing out some other stuff to you that's not included on the screen and that's not included in your, in your bulletin. So you're definitely going to want to have something to, to write with. A couple verses I want to share with you. Numbers chapter 18 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. The book of Numbers chapter 18 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. This is where we find the tithe in the law. In Numbers chapter 18, what we find out is that a tithe literally means a tenth. That's what it means, 10%. That, that's a tithe. And we find it in Numbers chapter 18, and what we find the purpose for the tithe in Numbers chapter 18 was to support the Levites. And for those of you that don't know what a Levite is, a Levite was, were, were the, was the sect of the priests in, in, in the Old Testament. They were the ones that served in the temple. They were the ones that, that worked with the sacrifices. They were not provided the same kind of inheritance as the rest of, of Jacob's Joseph's sons were. So they were given a tithe. And what God said in Numbers chapter 18 was that all Israel was to take a tenth of their possessions. A tenth of their increase. And they were to bring that as an offering to God. And that tithe would be used to support the Levites in the manner of food and and other things that they needed in order to survive. It would also again provide for the temple. This was a theocracy in the day. You could think of it almost like a tax of the day. But that's not the only reason for the tithe. The other scripture I gave you, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 8 to 29, tell us this. God says in the law, He says, I want that tithe every three years. I want you to open the storehouses. I want you to bring out all that has been gathered and collected that is still unused. I want you to bring it out every three years and set it out on the streets. And I want the sojourner, meaning the traveler, the passerby. I want the sojourner. I want the Levites. I want the fatherless and the widows. To be able to come and eat and, and, and appreciate and enjoy and take in that tithe. You see, the tithe was not just to support the work at the time of the day. It was also used to minister to the least of those. The widows, the orphans, the fatherless, the traveler, the wanderer, the outcast, and the priest. That's where we find the instance of the tithe. That's where we see it found In the law that God commanded His people under the old covenant to tithe. The purpose was to meet the needs of the work of God through the temple, through the temple workers and the Levites. It was ultimately to help provide food for the fatherless and for the widows, not to negate the fact of an individual responsibility. But I want to ask you a question. Is the tithe for us? Is... The tithe, this thing that we read about, this thing that we see Jesus speaking of in the New Testament, is the tithe for us. There are several different, there's some debate about that, and I think it's important that we clear it up, or at least give you information so you can make a decision on your own. One of the arguments against the tithe is that there is very little spoken of in the New Testament. There is very little spoken of. Jesus barely touched on it. In fact, this is one of the few moments that Jesus actually uses the word tithe. In fact, if you go into the New Testament epistles, you don't find it. You find, rather, people giving all their possessions. You find people really just giving over and sacrificing almost all their stuff in the early church in the book of Acts. So though there are some who will say, well, it's not a practice in the, in the New Testament. It's not spoken of. It's not, it's not something that Jesus even, even mentioned very often, but it was really kind of off the cuff. In Matthew chapter 22, you may want to jot this down. The religious leaders came and tried to Catch Jesus in his words, trying to snare him, laid a snare. And they said, Master, is it good for us that we should pay taxes to Rome? Are we supposed to pay taxes as your people to the pagans in Rome? Remember Rome was overseeing them at the time. Is it right for us to do that? And you Remember what Jesus said? He went, he said, Go get some of your tax money, your tribute money, and bring it to me. And in Matthew 22, they bring him one of the coins. And Jesus says, whose inscription is on the coin? And they said Caesar's. You remember what Jesus' response was? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But render unto God those things that are God's. Render unto God those things that are God's. So what Jesus is saying is there is clearly, especially in relationship to money, there is money that is his. What do we say to the fact that Jesus didn't speak much on tithing? A couple of things. One is it was a common practice of the day. It had already been clarified. It had already been codified in the law in the Old Testament. It was, and it was a common practice of the day. It wasn't as though Jesus needed to come and further clarify on the issue. Secondly, I want you to think about this. The fact that Jesus never said to stop is not a good excuse. The fact that Jesus never said, okay, you can stop tithing. How many of you as parents would, would that be a justifiable excuse if your child said, well, I, you never told me to stop hitting my brother. I mean, that's not a justifiable excuse. In fact, I just had to use that one the other day with my own two. Here's another argument. Well, we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And it's true. Praise God for it. Praise God that you and I are not under the law. But remember this. The Bible tells us that the law was never intended to save us. It was never intended to save them. There was, no, there was no way that they could even keep all of the law, let alone if they did, that that law could ever save them. Salvation has always been grace through faith in God's redemptive Word. That has always been salvation from the very beginning. Keeping the law, observing the law never ever saved anybody. It was what Paul said in Galatians, our schoolmaster. It was to teach us and to train us and to show us God's standard so that when we saw God's standard, In Jesus, who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, we would look at Christ and say, grace has come. We would look at Jesus and say, praise God, the perfect one has come to take our place. He came not, he said in Matthew 5.21, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In fact, he went on to intensify the law and internalize the law. He said, you've heard it been said that a man is not to kill, not to murder. I tell you not to look on your brother with hate. Jesus said you're not supposed to commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in her heart. Jesus took the law and intensified it and internalized it. How many of us would use that argument that we're not under the law to commit adultery? Husbands, would your wives like to hear you say, Well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. If you stepped out in your marriage, how many of us would bow down to an, an idol and say in justification, I'm under grace. I have the freedom to worship an idol? No, we don't murder, we don't lie, we don't commit adultery. We don't worship another God. Why? Because I know what God's standard is. I want you to see something else. Jot these verses down, please. Genesis chapter 14 and Genesis chapter 28. Before tithing was ever codified into the law, we find it twice in the Old Testament. Before the law. Genesis 14, Abraham had just come back from rescuing his his nephew Lot, had just defeated the kings, and had experienced a tremendous victory. Both Genesis chapter 14 and Hebrews chapter 7 in the New Testament tell us that Abraham ran, ran into the king of Salem, the king of peace. He was a priest of the Most High God at that time. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 14, offered unto him, Melchizedek, offered up unto him a tithe of all that he had gotten from that victory. Jacob in chapter 28 of Genesis. Upon seeing the great ladder that went up to heaven and having that great vision of God's promise and provision in his life, got up and promised to God that he would pay a tithe of all that God had given him for his protection and for the blessing on his life. Tithing existed even before the law. Now some of you may say, Pastor, I understand what you're saying. But let me tell you something. You may just not think, well, I'm going to give whatever I give. And that's fine. It's your choice. I don't want to try to compel anybody. I just want to share what the scripture says. But think about this last reason. Why the thought of being a minimum standard of giving is 10% would be biblical. And it's because of this. Its promises, its purpose, and its product are still valid today. It's promises. What promises? Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10. God makes a promise. Granted, Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 through 10 is still in the Old Testament. Malachi gives a scathing uh, statement against God's people at that time. uh, God, God even says through the prophet Malachi that they were robbing God. Withholding that tithe. And what God says through Malachi is this, trust me now in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and bring blessing. Friends, the promises of God. You might say this morning, you might say, wait a second, Pastor. Are you telling me that if I take 10% of my income, write a check and put it in that offering plate that I can expect next Sunday to have more in my life? I love what our children's minister, Lisa, teaches the children about tithing, about faithfulness and giving. She teaches them that you don't always reap where you sow. You know, isn't it funny? If you're using tithing as a get-rich scheme, it's not. Well, then why could God say, I can open the windows of heaven and bless? Guys, let me tell you something. Jesus told us that where our money is, there our heart will be also. There's really nothing closer to many of our hearts than money. And if I can come to a place in my life where I am willing to give 10% of all that God has blessed me with, give it back to the work of the kingdom, do you know what I'm telling God? I trust you. If I can trust God with my money, Think about this. If I can trust God with my money, more than likely I can trust Him in every other area of my life. Let me say it like this. If I am trusting God with my money, more than likely I am trusting God in every other area of my life. The purpose still valid. The purpose for why we give, why they gave in the Old Testament is still to fund The work of God through this local church. There is no other vehicle in all the world that God has said, I want to use that vehicle as a means of taking the name of my son Jesus to the uttermost parts of the world. That vehicle, my friends, is the local church. He blessed it. He built it. He ordained it for the purpose of global evangelism. And the product is still the same. What's the product? Knowing that you're trusting God. Knowing that you're willing to say, God, I recognize your lordship and that you have given me all this and I am dedicating a tenth of what you have given me back to you for the work of your kingdom as a minimum standard. I trust you, God. I'm partnering with your work. I believe that you are indeed who you said you were. I read an interesting statistic. In 1916, Christians in that day gave 2.9% of their income to the work of God. Okay, 1916, they gave 2.9%. In 1933, at the depth of the Great Depression, it rose. To 3.2%. In 2000. It became 2.7. And now is anywhere. 2.8. To 2.9%. Friends. Right now. The state of giving. To the work of God. Through the local church. Is below. What it was. At the depth. Of the great depression. Depression. John Ronsvale, in his book, The State of Church Giving, written in 2002, did research on, what, on what, Christi- what the average Christian made or the average attendance of the church or average membership of the churches in America. And just in America, in his book, The State of Church Giving through 2000, he said that in 2000, if all of the born-again believers in every church who held membership in a, in a church in the United States of America, a Bible-believing church, if every one of those members tithed, gave a 10% as a minimum standard of giving, he said that there would have been in 2000 an extra $139 billion used for the work of the kingdom. $139 billion with a B for the work of the kingdom. Bill Bright, Campus Crusaders, once wrote in a book, that we have enough, 80% of the Christian wealth, 80% of the wealth of Christians resides in the United States of America. He said, we have enough wealth in the hands of Christians now to finish and fund the work of the Great Commission. Wow. It's right here. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. Personally. Financially. I think it's important that we are transparent. Financially our church is doing well. This is the first February I can remember since I've been here. Where we weren't worried about what the next offering was going to be. I'm up here not talking to you about finances. Because we need to pass the plate again. That's not it. This. is Conversation, this series about giving up is not about securing a gift for the church. It's about securing a heart for the Lord. It's not about what we can get. You see, giving, not giving, is not the problem. Think about this. Not giving to the work of the Lord is not a problem, it's not the problem. It is rather a symptom of a greater problem within, one that does not trust or may not truly love God enough to give Him. What he is deserving of. I want you to think of this for just a moment. Six reasons why people don't give. You want to jot these down? you are going to discuss them in your small group later. Six reasons people don't give. First is they're skeptical. They are a little, not maybe not convinced that they, it is a justified reason for them to give. They, they think, I don't know. Maybe they don't really believe the promise that they've read. Maybe they're really not so sure. And sometimes number one can get mingled up with number five pretty easy as you may see in a moment but either way some people don't give because they're skeptical they may not think that it's a justified reason for why they're giving the second reason is it's small you may look at what you're going to give to god you may look at your 10 percent, or you may look at your offering whatever that is above and beyond that you may look at that and say well it's just a small amount can i tell you something god has always done great and mighty things with small amounts God has always taken the small things and blessed them if they were given in the right heart. The third reason is probably the one that is the most common. It's not that they're skeptical. It's not that it's a small gift. It's the fact that they're strapped. They don't have a dime to give. Maybe, and that could be several reasons. One is it could be because they have not followed time-tested, biblically proven methods for money management. Maybe it could be the result of an appetite for worldly living that has literally choked out their desire to live and serve and fund and and glorify God with their possessions. Or maybe it's been an unforeseen financial setback. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you got sued. Maybe you broke your arm. Uh, Who knows what all the reasons could be that you could be strapped. Friends, I believe we should have financial freedom and we should work towards financial freedom in a lot of ways. Well, not the least of which is for the purpose that we can be more free and flexible to serve the Lord when He calls us to. The fourth one, they're scared. These people have found security in money or they believe it's secure. They believe if they have a certain amount in their account, they're going to be fine. Do we believe that to be true? No. No. Money may provide you some security, but it is not to replace the security that only comes from God. Let me just tell you something. To believe and trust God in every area of your life but finances really doesn't make you much more than a financial atheist. To believe God in every other area but your finances puts you in a very tough spot. Fifth reason, good old-fashioned selfishness. It's not small. They're not skeptical. They're not strapped. They could do it they just don't want to. They would much rather leave it for themselves. They don't they, they see giving as a loss rather than an investment for the kingdom's work. And the last one is probably the most disgusting of all of them. It's awful. Number 6, I hate to even have to mention it, but I have encountered it firsthand. I've also known pastor friends who have encountered it and it is a disgusting misuse of what God has blessed us with. And number 6 is they don't give because they're sending a message. Some of you may know, may have heard people, maybe you yourself, didn't like the way the church was going, didn't like this new program that was going to be instituted. You didn't like the new pastor. You didn't like the song leader's hair. Who knows? Who knows all the things, the reasons why some people may say, you know what, I don't like it. I'm not going to give. And they will withhold their giving for the purpose of sending a message to the church and to the leadership. In an attempt to hold absolute sway over a program and to stroke their own ego, they choose not to give. Those folks have forgotten that that money is not theirs, as we learned last week. It is God's. That is a very dangerous game to play. Let me end with point number three. Bad reasons to tithe. Get rich plan. God said he would bless, that does not mean you're going to win the lottery. Okay? That does not mean you're going to win the billion dollar Yahoo March Madness bracket. Okay? I'm trying, but that doesn't mean that you're going to win that. God's blessings come in many ways peace, satisfaction, health. Who knows all the ways that God can and chooses to bless his people who are faithful to him. How about this one? What we find in Matthew chapter 23. Maybe you're tithing. Maybe you are a tither. And maybe you're much like those religious leaders and on the outside you look good, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. I have known of people who have tithed for the purpose of covering up other sinful activity. Hoping that God would look at their account in heaven and say, okay, well he gives. I'm willing to overlook that. The Bible tells us that God is not a respecter of persons. What he cares about is righteousness, justice, faith, mercy, integrity. Those are what God, and if you're using your tithe as a bribe to God, I assure you, it will not work. Woe unto you to use Jesus' words. And the last one, to get God's attention. Okay, God, you felt distant. Okay, God, I'm at the bottom. Okay, God, I really need you to do something, so I'm going to tithe. We don't tithe to get something. We tithe because we have received something. We're not faithful financially because I want to try to ensure that God is going to provide something for me. I want to give and be a cheerful giver because of what He has already provided for me in the, in, in the inexpressible gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. What do you say? What do you say? Does God... Is God honored? I'm not compelling. I'm not laying a heap a weight on your shoulders. I'm asking you a very simple question. Is what you give, does that honor and glorify God? Not just in the amount. Not just in the amount. But in the heart of the one who gives it. Friends, what does it say? are you one of those on those six on that list of six six reasons why we don't give is that one of you? is that you because every one of those can be refuted with scripture let us live lives let us pr- rearrange our priorities let us make the tough decisions now so that we can better honor and glorify and fund the work of the greatest call in all the world the greatest investment that anybody can make the advancement of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in His name. I want to ask you for a moment. if you just close your eyes with me. I told you last week that my wife got saved while listening to a message on tithing. And today you may hear me talk about, you heard me talk about a percent. But I think the first and most important thing is this is, does God? Have all of you. God doesn't want just a portion or fraction of our life. He died to save us. And I want to ask you today, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you don't, in just a moment, we're going to sing. You say, today's the day, God. Today is the day that I start fresh. Today is the day I start new. You walked in here, maybe still covered in your sins. Praise God, Jesus Christ is able to cover your sins and forgive you through his work on the cross. That's a promise. Maybe God is dealing with you in many other ways that have nothing to do with your financial faithfulness. Whatever that is, will you take a stand with God today? Will you do the work that needs to be done? Will you repent of sin that, you've, that God has brought to your mind this morning? Will you trust God for his forgiveness? Salvation, rededication, church membership, baptism. Maybe you just want to come and praise God at the altar or pray and seek his face during a moment, a season of prayer. We're going to pray in just a moment. And after we pray, we'll all stand together. And if you have a decision to make this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. Father in heaven, I thank you and I love you. I pray this morning, Father, that you will make your word alive in us. Father, that we will be able to look at our life and and look at our hands, our mouth, our heart, our feet. That we may look at our possessions and even our finances. And say, God, am I honoring you? Do I recognize that you are the Lord and owner of all of these things? And I am simply a steward, a caretaker of them. Father, help us to be faithful in all that we do. Father, thank you for the forgiveness of sins that came through Jesus Christ on the cross and as he rose from the grave to prove that everything he said was true. Lead us to your glory in Jesus' name.